Uh, we are going to start a series today through the book of 1 Thessalonians, the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Uh, you, can re- you can read of Paul's visit there in the book of Acts, and you will uh, see a little bit of reference here from Paul to you know Timothy and to Silas. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas started out, and then and then they split up, and then Silas and Paul, and then they meet this young man named Timothy. And there's two letters written from Paul to Timothy. Uh, they are First and Second Timothy, hence the name. And here we read Paul writing, which many scholars believe to be the first penned letter of the New Testament. Uh, they expect this or date this around 49 AD, may not be the very first, but it was one of the earliest, if not the earliest, penned letters of the New Testament. And this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica. All right, so while Paul visited Macedonia, Thessalonica was the capital city, a very big harbor city. There was a lot of trade. They expect the population up over 100,000 people. So, I mean, you can imagine going to Columbia, Missouri right now that school is in session, and that is what Thessalonica looked like. And what I mean by that is when you go to Columbia, there's a big university there, right? Uh, That big university means that people from all walks of life come in. There are various beliefs. There are various backgrounds, upbringings, and philosophies. And so was the same here. We're talking to a Greco-Roman city in which worshipped many idols, and very few people worshipped the holy, righteous God, Yahweh. So Paul visits and he ministers. In the book of Acts, you will read that he was there for three Sabbaths. Uh, does that mean he only spent three weeks here in Thessalonica? Possibly. Uh, many believe that after he was kind of pushed out of the city by the great opposition of the Jews and the uh, pagans, the Gentiles, uh, that he spent some time kind of wake, making his way out of there, out of, this, out of the big city heat, and spent more time investing in the soon-to-be church of Thessalonica. This letter is written to them as Timothy was sent by Paul to check on the church. That's something that we need to do, right? We need to check on the church. What is the church believing? What is the church preaching? Where is the church direction heading? And, and to ensure that they line up with what Christ calls us to. So Paul sends Timothy. Timothy comes back and he meets Paul. And then we've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy back together. The three musketeers are back together. And this is what Paul writes to them. And what you're going to see in this letter over the next six-ish weeks is that there's a lot of good. But then there's also some bad. And then at the very, towards the end of this letter, we get to read a little bit about end times beliefs. Uh, we're not going to dive into too much of a rabbit hole there. We're going to stay true to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but Paul addresses a few of the issues that these people were dealing with, like what happens when our loved ones pass and what's going to look like the end of times. So we are going to start today this letter. We're going to read all of chapter 1. And then uh, I was so excited to be back that I already wrote this week's and next week's messages. I can't wait. Like I I was actually more excited, I think, to preach next week's than I was this week just because it was fresher and it was newer. And it kind of talks about the do's and the don'ts of ministers and and people in leadership and also how you can conduct yourself. But today we're going to start with chapter one. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go there. We're going to read it. And this is what... The letter says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we're going to go kind of break this up each week. Here's my plan. Each week we're going to read the designated text, and then we're going to work back through it in an expository type of way, an exegetical way, so that you can truly understand what it is that Paul is saying to these people, how it applies to you, and where you have room to grow. So here we are in verse 2. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Now this is profound to me. Here's why. At this particular time, as Paul is writing, the church has surely grown and spread. So that means that Paul did not, he most likely did not know each and every person that made up the church in Thessalonica. And here's the other thing. Are all of these people perfect? Is the church in Thessalonica perfect? By no means. Did Paul know each and every person on a personal level and know all of their goods and bads? No way. But Paul says that he gives thanks for them constantly, and he mentions them in his prayers. And the reason he does it is because of the essential marks that is evident in their lives. The essential marks of Christianity that we'll discuss here in just a moment. And that moves Paul to give thanks to God for them. So think about it. Are you living in ways that others thank God on your behalf? Do you bless people with your company in such a way that they praise God that they know you? Or do you burden them? Do you bring them down in their faith? Because what we all should strive to do is to conduct ourselves in a way and be such lights to people that they are praising God because they know us. So that's a question I want you to think about for just a moment. Do people praise the Lord because they get to know you? See, I have to admit that Michaela and I are very thankful for the church that God has not just blessed me to be able to pastor, but blessed my family with. Now, do I know each and every one of you on a personal level and know anything, everything about you? No way. It's impossible. Are all of you perfect? <laughs> no. But we thank God for blessing us with this church because of the evidence of three essential marks that we're getting ready to discuss. That is evident here in this place. That is evident in Thessalonica. And those three marks are faith, love, and hope. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which was written later than this. 
Paul says that three things still abide. Remember? Three things still, re- still remain. Faith, love, and hope. He said the greatest of these is what? Love. But three essential marks of a Christian, three things that should be evident in your life. And if you have these things, these three things evident in your life, I, there's a very good probability that people will give thanks to God because they get to know you. So one thing that we're always, always remembering is that always, at all times, at all times, in all things, in all ways, people are always watching you, right? People are always watching you. Some people are conniving and watching you and wanting to just see you stumble. So they can exalt in their own goodness better than you. They can boast in how bad you are and how good they are. People are looking to see you stumble. But then there's also people that see good in you and that look up to you and the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you handle situations and the way that you face adversity and the way that you walk through seasons of uncertainty and painfulness and heartbreak. There are people that look to you and they want to grow themselves based off knowing you. So one of the things that I strive to do is to be a person that people thank God that they get to know me. My wife does daily. (laughs) Yeah, right. So three things that we want to discuss here is the work of the Thessalonians was a result of their faith. So the work of the Thessalonians was a result of their faith. As you go back to verse 3, he says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Uh, Do you remember that James wrote a letter and he said, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. What that means is that your faith in Christ should compel you to do good works. Your faith in Christ should compel you to feed people who need food. Your faith in Christ and your relationship with him should compel you to put clothes on kids that have no clothes. Your faith in Christ should compel you to sacrifice of your own time and your own resources for the better of people around you. Now, that's called laboring, right? Whenever we work, we are laboring. So our faith should be the driving force of our work. Now, their labor, their labor flows from love. And our love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ should be the driving force of our labor. And our love to see people saved should be the driving force of our labor. Now, if we're not careful, we can begin to drift personally and our labor will be driven by legalism or even obligation. And here's what happens. Whenever you and I labor in ministry, whenever we labor in leading a Sunday school class, whenever we labor in leading a children's church class, when we labor in this service outreach opportunity, or whenever we think of, oh, well, the church is doing this, I got to go. Here's what happens. If you and I are not careful, we will drift and our laboring in anything but love will cause us to look at the tasks at hand and maybe even dread them and cringe. Like, I got to go here. I got another message to write or I got another another service ministry that I've got to serve at or another lesson to lead. And if you and I are laboring in anything but love, whenever it comes to any capacity of sharing the gospel and being a light or ministering to people, if we are not laboring in love, we will look at and maybe even cringe at the tasks at hand. And I'll be honest, I've been there before. 
Because what happens after you do things so long, and if you take anything personal, because, well, they didn't respond well, whatever I did, and they didn't like whatever I did here. And then what happens is sometimes we take things personal, and our laboring isn't out of love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ, or our love for the opportunity that God may do something great here. Our laboring is because, well, I've got to do it, or if I don't do it, no one else will, or I have to do this, or I have to do that. And then what happens is we find ourselves drifting, And the work that God has called us to do is no longer laboring out of love and just preaching our heart out or or loving the people around us because we love them or we love where God is leading them or what the possibility is. We find ourselves dreading the work that God has called us to. So my, my plead with you is to find yourself working on behalf of the Lord, driven by your love for him and your love for those around you. So you don't find yourself feeling obligated to do what you have to do. And then it says there's steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness of hope. The hope that you and I have in Christ will strengthen us to endure all things. The hope that you and I have in Christ is what strengthens us to endure all things. Is it not? I mean, apart from Christ, how many of us would be wrecks more times than we would like to admit. How many of you have ever had your heart hurt? I mean, just hurt. How many of you ever went through a season of complete uncertainty, unpredictability, and there was no reason why it should have been happening to you when it happened to you the way it happened to you? We've all been there. And if we were apart from Christ, we would be defeated by that. If we walk through some of the things that some of you have walked through apart from Christ, you would have no reason to get up in the morning. If you were to navigate some of the seasons of life that you have been handed, let's be honest here. There are things that some of you have experienced that I cannot personally relate to. But because of Christ, you're still here. Because of Christ and the strength that he gives to you, you still praise his holy name. Because of Christ and the hope that you have that not only will you get to see people in heaven forever and ever, but you can be filled with his love and his joy and his peace and his his life now, you are still here. Apart from Christ, we would be hopeless. Apart from Christ, our life would be dictated by the circumstance daily because it always changes. I can remember one of the saddest things I remember, you know, as a young adult hearing about, and the only reason it resonated so heavily with me is because Mikel and I love going to Florida. We love it. We love Florida, especially in Navarre Beach, Florida. We love it. Well, I remember about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, someone can correct me when I'm wrong because I know I'm wrong. Six, seven years ago, there was a family from Leadwood that traveled to Florida, traveled back. Mom and dad passed away in a car accident. The kids live. And that resonated because Mikhail and I drive to Florida every year and we drive back home every year. Just hearing things like that makes us all think of how hopeless we can become in a moment. Of how detrimental the circumstances around us can, the weight that they can bear upon us. But with Christ, we can endure all things. With Christ, we can walk into funeral homes nursing homes, hospital rooms with joy in our heart, smiles on our faces and strength in our legs because we know that Christ is with us now, but there is something better to come. And we'll get there in just a moment. So these three things, hope, love, and hope, love, and what? 
what did I say? Faith. I'm losing my mind. Got to get back into this. But faith, hope, and love, these three things are the essential marks of who you and I are to be. Now, in verse 4, Paul says that we know that God, that you, brothers, brothers and sisters, are loved by God and that he has chosen you. So something that's very profound is that God would tell these people that they were chosen. One thing that I do know is this, that I have been chosen by God. Now, when we declare that, when we say, I've been chosen by God, if we aren't careful, we can become a little arrogant in that statement or a little self-righteous in that or make it about us. See, I am chosen by God in the same way that these people were chosen by God. You are chosen by God in the same way I am chosen by God, which is the same way that these people were chosen by God. Are we chosen by God by what we have to offer? Never. Because let's be honest, you and I are inadequate people with capacities. Therefore, there is a limitation to how good I can be at something or how strong of a faith that I have. There are limitations upon you and me. So you and I cannot carry the weight of the world. You and I cannot do all that we aspire to do one day. You and I cannot do or be the person that we ultimately dream of being all the time. We have limitations. So I am not chosen based off what I can offer or who I am. You and I are chosen by this means. If you read on, he says, because our gospel came to you. That is how you and I can actually say we are chosen by God. That his gospel message of redemption, reconciliation, and saving grace has come to us. You and I are chosen by God because we have been gifted the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's kind of ironic about this, about God choosing us and the way of God choosing us is to offer his message of salvation in Christ and the gospel to us is is kind of funny because the gospel of Christ reveals to you and I just how broken and bad we really are, doesn't it? I mean, the gospel of Christ reveals to you and reveals to me just how broken, sinful, and in need I am of a Savior. So when I say that God has gifted you the opportunity of hearing the gospel and that gospel message coming to you and you receiving it is your way of being able to say, I have been chosen, is funny because the gospel reveals just how far away from God we really were or just how broken we really lived or how sinful we really acted. But the power of the gospel radically transforms us. The power of his spirit radically transforms us. and We go from hopeless to hopeful. We go from broken to repaired. We go from lost to found. So I can confidently say today that I have been chosen by God. Not because I'm able to preach a little bit or not because I know the Bible a little bit, but because I have received his word of salvation in Christ. Therefore, I am chosen. So what happens is one of these days you're going to stand before him And he's going to look at you, and there may be some in this room who have yet to receive that message of salvation, and he's going to be broken to cast you away from him for eternity, knowing that you had every opportunity to choose to respond and receive his message. And he has chosen to gift you the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to talk about how they became imitators of Paul and Silas and Timothy and how they became imitators of the Lord. So let me just ask you this. 
do people imitate you? And when they imitate you, do they imitate the Lord? So we are to live in a way that we are such an example for people when it comes to our faith that people should imitate the way we live. They should imitate the way we speak. They should imitate the the way that we conduct ourselves. They should imitate us. And when they imitate us, are they imitating the Lord? So what that means is when you live in front of people, do you reflect Christ? Or do you talk differently outside of church than you do in? Or do you look at things differently with your friends than you do maybe with your preacher? Or do you think differently whenever you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit here and now listening to his word being preached than you do when you're at work? So what that means is you can't be two different people and imitate you and imitate the Lord. What that's called is hypocrisy. And what that's meaning, what that means is you will live a double type of life in which people that will imitate you in the workplace are not imitating the Lord. But if people see you imitating the Lord on Sunday, but then don't see you imitating the Lord on Wednesday, they're going to be kind of confused to who you really are. And then you lose the authenticity of your message and your witness is diminished. So let me just ask you, when people imitate you, are they imitating the Lord? Because Paul said that you guys imitated us and imitated the Lord, which means Paul and Silas, and we'll talk about it next week, how they conducted themselves holy and blameless in such a way that whenever they imitated Paul, they imitated Christ. Was Paul as good as Jesus? No. But Paul strived to live like Christ. That is the power of the gospel to the Spirit of God and the Word of God shape you and shape me into a greater reflection of Christ on a daily basis. That is sanctification. That is you and I are conducting ourselves differently daily and growing daily so that people see us looking more and more like Jesus. Now, I want to end with what Paul says at the very end of this chapter. So as you think about is, are people imitating me? And if they're imitating me, are they imitating Jesus? Or if if they're imitating me, are they imitating a cussing, drunkard, adulterer, idolater? I mean, what is it? What are you showing the people? In verse 10, Paul says, to wait for his son from heaven... Anybody excited for the day Jesus comes back? <laughs> Aren't we saying, okay, Lord, <laughs> come now. Like it's, it's gone on long enough, right? Let's go. Um, we all wait for that day for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. So here's what I want to end with that there is a time coming in which all of the people boasting, celebrating, and promoting evil will face their maker and receive the justice due them. There is a time in which all the people running rampant all over the news and all over Facebook and all over Instagram that are just boasting evil are going to find their justice. It's not your job to give it to them. You may have messages typed up and you're just ready to let them know. And you may want to say it to their face. You may want to punch them in the throat, but that is not your place. All right? So just take a breath. (sighs) One thing I did on vacation, very little was to hold my phone in my hand. You know how freeing it was to go to the beach and not have my phone for like hours on end? I mean, hours. Some days, the whole day, I wouldn't even have my phone. I just, I'd 
would check my fantasy team because I was in first place and now I'm in second. All right. And, and I'm not real happy about it, but it is what it is. Um, but do you know that I told Michaela this yesterday? I said, I think I'm going to get back on Facebook. She said, no, you're not. You and Facebook do not clash. Well, I haven't been on Facebook since August 29th of 2020. And uh, I've wanted to get back on there just to like kind of address some things that need to be addressed in the world, uh, just like all of you do, you know, and just add more fuel to the fire. Uh, but Michaela re- reminded me because she is my helper gifted to me by the Lord and woman uh, that Facebook and me do not go very well together because sometimes I'm not as controlled as I need to be or as tame as I need to be. Um, but I realized that one of these days, there is a wrath to come for those people. Those people that you want to throw the wrath to, you want to throw the, the book at, their time is coming. And now it seems that evil is strengthening daily, does it not? It seems that evil is boasted even higher. It seems like evil is exalted in, in even lower you know, levels of government or lower levels of schools or lower levels of uh, family units. And it seems like evil is just strengthening day after day after day. Here's what I want you to know. That is just the devil's way of deceiving people because he knows one thing. His time is running short. The devil's time is running short. So one of these days, there is a wrath to come for all of those people that you cannot wait to see stand before Jesus one day. I'll be the first to admit that I've had to repent of one thing. Well, no, I've had to repent of a lot of things over the course of my life. But one of the things that I told Michaela was there are a few select people that I would love to stand at the throne room of grace when they're getting judged. Like, I want to watch that go down, right? Those people. I'm not going to name those names because you might name the same people. But there are a few people that I've always said, I want to be there to watch that. I want to see how that goes. It's not my place. But there is a wrath to come for all that reject the gospel message of Christ. So what I mean by that is this. Not only is it coming for them, not only is the devil's time short, but so is yours. Our life here is just like a vapor, like a mist. Here today gone tomorrow. So the same wrath that is here to come for all of those evil people that keep boasting and celebrating and promoting evil and and heinous acts is the same wrath to come for all of those good people that failed to reject or failed to receive the gospel. Those people that did good things, they were good neighbors, they did good deeds, but they failed to humble themselves and bow before the holy righteous God. It's the same wrath for those people and it's to come. And it's coming much sooner than you realize. We may not see the sky split wide open. We may not see Christ return during our life. But I promise you, before you know it, you're going to be in your 30s, and then you're going to be in your 40s, and then you're going to be in your 50s, and then you're going to be in your 60s, and you're going to wonder how in the world you got to where you got. I can tell you, the, the older I get, when I turn 32, like last month, I could not believe I was 32. I remember thinking people in their 30s were old. (laughs) I remember thinking that, thinking, oh man, I'll never be that old. And now I'm there and I'm still really young, or at least I think so. You know, your definition of old gets different as you age. But one thing I've realized is this, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I could literally be halfway done, halfway done already. And it's gone that fast. So not only is the devil's time running short, but so is yours. 
And if you fail to humble yourself and bow before the creator of the universe and to accept the gift of salvation in Christ, the same wrath that comes for those evil people is coming to you. So I want to give you all an opportunity this morning to do two things. One, to look at the way you, in which you live and ask yourself, if people were to imitate the way I live right now, are they imitating Christ? And if there are things in your life that do not reflect Christ well, the way that you speak, the way that you handle situations, the way that you live, the free time that you spend, if there are things that do not reflect Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to reflect upon that and repent of it and ask the Lord to forgive you of it. And lastly, I want you to seriously take into consideration the eternal salvation that Christ gives. And have you yet to receive that? I'll just do it when I'm older. Well, define old. It's always changing, isn't it? I'll just do it when I'm old. I'm not old yet. I'm going to ask some of the people that I might say that are old in here, are you old yet? No. It's always changing. Well, I'll just do it later. How many tomorrows are we going to wish for that may never come? Because there is a wrath to come. But there's also a free gift of eternal life to come that is offered to all of us that have received the message of Christ and the cross that he carried on our behalf in which you and I will be able to dwell with him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, as we come to